0: the question and answer time uh, because of the things we have to do will be packing up the, uh, the display but I am keeping out right now the King James uh, 16.12 which is the uh, um, first handheld King James Bible so if anybody wants to take a picture with it or see it I'm going to have it up here for you to be able to hold it and take a picture uh, so on and now let me get uh, things hooked up here been a pleasure to be with you. We had just a great afternoon uh, w- with the days and with uh, the other folks who were over there. Um, that's, that's Dan and Kathy and Celine and um, uh, what's his name? Yeah, all right, right there. Uh, that, that, that boy's an eater, I just, I just want to tell you. All right. Now my computer is doing something that I haven't had it do before, so I need to see what it's doing and trying to get it off of here. Hey, does anybody have a blessing? <laughs> there you go. Any, anybody have a blessing about anything at all? Just want to Oh, you're ready to go. I'm ready to go now. I figured it out. I think. <laughs> There's a blessing. <laughs> Amen All right, understanding inspiration, preservation and translation. Here's what it says in Psalm 1,19160. "Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth how long? Forever." Amen. Well, the key battleground today. Uh, in Christianity focuses on the nature of the Bible and the meaning of the words inspiration and the associated word preservation uh, as applied to the Bible. Uh, It is truly a battleground that's going on today. There's a spectrum of beliefs. Both ends of the spectrum are wrong and you have the spectrum of the skeptics, the statement from Nestle Alon's Greek New Testament is that the Bible is not to be considered definitive but as a stimulus for further efforts towards uh, redefining and verifying the text of the New Testament. So you got them, they're, they're off the wall on that end. And then there's uh, those who say that the King James Bible itself was given by divine inspiration and is superior to the Hebrew and the Greek in which uh, the scripture was originally given and in fact even corrects the Hebrew and the Greek. Uh, the translators would have even disagreed with that. So both ends of the spectrum there's a problem. And so uh, I believe that we need to take time to really take a part and explain to you what Biblical inspiration is, and what preservation is, and then a little bit later, what translation is, and see some of the different positions. The Bible is the most important book in the world. You can line it up against any other book, and the reason is how a a person views the Bible and what that person's response to its message is will determine that person's destiny, and so uh, we need to be fully aware of that. Now, I want you to know that the devil hates people. Uh, the devil definitely hates people and uh, because they're created in God's own image. And he is ruthless. And he wants people to be damned to hell. And hell wasn't originally created for people. According to the scriptures, it was created for the devil and his angels. But... People who reject its truth and reject the Savior, uh, they will end up into a crisis, eternity in hell. He hates mankind because we are the pinnacle of God's creation. We are created in God's image, though we are fallen. We are fallen, but we still are created in the image of God. And he wants uh, to have us be alienated from God. He doesn't want us to have a relationship with God whatsoever. Satan is our adversary, and the Bible is clear. He walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You look up the word devour, that means to swallow up whole. See, the devil wants to blunt your testimony. He wants to make it so that Uh, you drag the name of Jesus Christ through the mud, Christian. He wants to get you involved so that people are going to laugh and reject you because there's no difference between you and between the world. We are to be a separated people. Our language is to be different from the world, and we're not to dress modesty. our dresses to be different from the world our thought processes to be different from the world and then the fact that we have the truth we are to share that truth with other people and that truth is the gospel message of the lord jesus christ certainly the devil hates god's word uh, it's certain that satan fully is aware of the scripture and he knows it inside and out better than we do uh, that's exactly the truth of the matter is and He has no doubt that God's word is infallible and true, but he and his ilk from the very beginning have done everything in their power to confuse people as to the nature of the Bible and to keep them from believing God's word. Satan's goal for the Bible is quite clear. He wants to corrupt it. Satan's goal for the Bible is quite clear. He wants to compromise and change it. Satan's goal for the Bible is to water down the Bible. Satan's goal for the Bible is to make the Bible incomprehensible, make it obscure. Satan's goal for the Bible is to make the Bible unavailable. That's what he would like to do. Uh, He wants to make people doubt it. He wants to destroy it and further Um, we know from the scriptures if our gospel be hid, we we got to talk about it, we got to tell people about it. If our gospel be hid, it is him to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He wants to keep the gospel away from them any possible way that he can. Well, it all started back with Adam and Eve. And the Lord God commanded of the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou may freely uh, eat, verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. They could do anything else except eat of that tree. Well, Here's what happens. We get there, and God's word is questioned in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Uh, You shall not surely die, you know? Uh, And and then um, not only that, uh, we have God's word was subtracted from. Satan leaves some words out. And then God's word is added to by Eve. She said we can't eat it or touch it. So she adds to it. And then the word of God, if you look in Genesis 3, 3, it is softened. Then the word of God is denied. The word of God is blasphemed. And finally, finally, the word of God is ignored and disobeyed. That makes a good sermon all in its own, my friends. But I'm not taking I'm just telling you, it started right from the very beginning. Start right from the very beginning. He wants to get people to question the Word of God. And if you can throw in a bunch of new versions that have changes and have differences in it, people are going to say, which one's really the Word of God? And if you start taking things out of the Word of God, then you can keep the truth from them. The new versions have 17 complete verses that are gone from them and hundreds of partial verses that are gone. Then you add to that and... A number of the new versions have new words and additional changes in it. And then, of course, the the modern versions, the people under them deny that the King James Bible is the words of God. And then you have people blaspheming the word of God. And then you have people just plain ignoring the word of God. And so that is what's so dangerous. So what is the truth about the Bible? To battle the devices of the devil, we need to know the truth. We need to know the truth. So, what is inspiration? The Bible itself claims that every word in every part of the Bible comes from God. We see this in Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, and then I've already got uh, uh, you memorized Second um, Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And if you remember anything, I hope you remember that the Bible tells you what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. And then holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It wasn't man's own idea. Uh, This view of the scripture is often referred to as verbal plenary inspiration. Uh, And let me explain to you exactly what verbal plenary inspiration is. Uh, Verbal inspiration means that every word is inspired of God. Plenary inspiration means that it extends to all parts of the scripture and all subject matters that are in the scripture. In other words... Genesis is just as inspired as Job is, just as inspired as Corinthians is, as just as inspired as Revelation is. So it is equally inspired throughout there. Uh, the inspiration of the Bible, uh, full verbal inspiration, is an essential characteristic of God's Word. You'll see why a little bit later. All other views fall short of the Bible's claim about itself. The Bible is and claims to be the inspired Word of God. Now, here's what's important. Prior to 1580, the inspiration of uh, the books of the canon, when I say the books of the canon, I'm talking about everything except the Apocrypha, so it's the 66 books, was taken for granted. Everybody believed, who was a believer, everybody believed that the book of the, the Bible was inspired. But then... We talked to you about this a little bit in the last message. German higher criticism came in the early 1700s, and belief in the inspiration of the Bible came under attack, and so alternate views of inspiration at that time were were put forward. Uh, The father of German rationalism was uh, uh, Johann uh, Salomo Selmer, uh, 1725 to 1791, and he rejected Jesus Christ and believed that the Bible was to be judged by human reason. And here's what he taught... That sophisticated, the sophisticated human mind should have no obligation to believe what is unreasonable in the Bible. End quote. You know what? I might not understand it, but um, I believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that he did it in six literal 24-hour days. The evening and the morning was the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. On the seventh day, he rested. Uh, 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 Selmar says, uh, well, uh, you know, the sophisticated mind uh, knows better than that. No, nah, um, I'll tell you what, the sophisticated mind, if you're too sophisticated to believe the Lord God Almighty, then I'll tell you what, you have some major problems. Look at the false views of inspiration that are floating around today. There is the intuition or the natural view of inspiration. And what they say is this, is that there's no supernatural element involved. That's what they say. The Bible was written by intelligent and gifted men. In other words, they're saying the authors were inspired, but God had nothing to do with it. I'll tell you what, they were trying to build a fire and their wood was wet. Um, they, they, they just missed the mark completely. And then there's a illumina- illumination or the mist view. That's the Bible is not the words of God, uh, but contains the Word of God. The writings are not inspired, just the writers. That's a twist on the first one, and uh, there's a number of people promoting that today. And then there's the partial inspiration view. Only certain portions of the scriptures are, are, are inspired, such as the prophetic passages. The problem is, is that makes you God if you decide what's inspired and what isn't inspired. So that's the real problem. And then you have the dictation or the mechanical view. While God did at certain times dictate portions of the scripture, this theory holds that the, the writer was passive. No, no. Uh, Peter says that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So it wasn't a mere dictation. And then there's the dynamic or conceptual inspiration that God inspired only the concepts and not the individual words uh, penned by the original authors. And that's what we have in the NIV and the uh, NASB and that's what we have in in the ESV and the RSV and all that. Uh, Here's what we have, and we've gone over this so you know it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And as I shared with you in the Greek, it says pasa graphe, Theonustus. God breathed it out. That's what we have. And um, uh, the word inspiration is derived from theophanustus, which literally means God breathed, or more accurately, breathed into by God. And so, uh, biblical inspiration defined uh, here is uh, some of the definitions, and they're all okay. The last one is the best. Uh, Charles Ryrie, uh, that. Uh, Bible belonged to Charles Ryrie, um, and uh, he's, uh, uh, he's written a good theological book, but Charles Ryrie writes this, God's superintending of human authors so that, using their own individual personalities, that's why Paul is different from Peter in his writings, you can tell that, um, uh, they composed and recorded without error in the words of the original autographs his revelation to man. Uh, Thomas uh, Strauss puts it this way, inspiration is a process whereby the Holy Spirit led the writers of the scriptures to record accurately his very words. The product of the process was an inspired original. This is my personal friend, Dr. H.D. Williams, and I think this is the best of all the definitions to explain what biblical inspiration is. Inspiration is the miracle whereby the words of the scripture in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek were God breathed and once delivered using holy men and their vocabulary who perfectly recorded them once as they were moved uh, along by the Holy Spirit in such a a way that all the words written uh, are infallible and inerrant in the 66 books of the canon of the Scripture. The important facts about inspiration. It was the words that were inspired, not the men. They were holy men, but it is the words that were inspired. God worked through a man by, holy, by his Holy Spirit with the results of the words being inspired, as we see in Matthew 25, 35. And then, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, that means it's not man's own opinion, man didn't put his spin on it, It says, For prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And uh, additionally, we read this as well. Uh, The idea in verse 21 of 1 Peter there is that the Scriptures neither proceeded from the prophets' own knowledge, their own thoughts, their own ideas, or their own inventions, nor was it rooted in the calculation or conjecture of the one To whom it was revealed, it was from God. This means that the origin of the scriptures was not anyone's private or personal ideas. Uh, and, And that's important to know. They were God's ideas, all right? The scriptures were of the Lord. It was the words that were inspired or breathed out by God. And uh, Jude 1.3 says they were once delivered to the saints. So God only inspired his words once. God only inspired the original Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek traditional texts, uh, autographs, if you would, the originals. And so the pressing issue is, since we do not have the originals, Jesus did not have the original Hebrew in his day and yet you know what Jesus did all the time said it is written it is written it is written Uh, since we do not have the originals do we have the words of God the higher critics say no they say no they've been lost we're trying to restore them Uh, I deny that I say that God kept his promises, and we have it in our King James Version of the Bible. I'm just, um, I am going to agree with God and not fallible men. God has preserved his words for us. Now, preservation is not inspiration. I'll tell you the difference here. Uh, a Bible that was perfect, fully inspired by God only in the original autographs, listen to this, would be of no value to us today unless God had preserved his words uh, perfect for us today. So it was once you know, delivered to the saints. So we, the originals were inspired. If God just left it and didn't do anything with it and didn't preserve it, it wouldn't matter because we wouldn't know what those words were. Uh, but God has preserved His words. Amen. Dean John Burgon said, There exists no reason uh, for supposing that God, who in the first instance thus gave to mankind the scriptures of truth, straightway or immediately advocated His office, and took no further care of His word, and abandoned those precious writings to their fate. Um, it's, it's Burgot. says that's uh, totally ridiculous. Psalm one nineteen one sixty, 160. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Psalm th- uh, 33, 11 says, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Um, we read in Isaiah 30, and verse 8 Go now, write it therefore, or write it before them in a tablet. And note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. Write it down. Pass it on so that the next generation and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation have it. Isaiah 40 and verse 8, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Psalm 12, 6 and 7, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever, forever. The London Confession that I talked to you about this morning, it tells you, Uh, As you can see right there, the Old Testament in the Hebrew, which was the native language of the people of God uh, of old, and the New Testament Greek, which at the time of the writing of it was most generally known to the nations, being immediately inspired by God and by His singular care and providence kept pure in all the ages and are therefore authentical. They are genuine. God has preserved them for us today. So let me summarize where we've been so far. God inspired his words once. God has preserved his words in the Hebrew, Aramaic, Masoretic texts of the Old Testament and the traditional texts of the New Testament. God's preservation maintains all the authority and the Holy Spirit power that God originally placed on and in his words. And so uh, we go back to what we looked at in the last hour you need to understand that just as there is a preserved line of manuscripts, that's the Hebrew Masoretic, specifically the Ben-Kyam or Bongberg edition of the Hebrew, and the Greek traditional text, also called the Textus Receptus, there is also a corrupt line of manuscripts as well, known as the Ben-Asher Hebrew, as exhibited in Kittel's Biblical Hebraica, And the eclectic text rooted in a very small number of corrupt Greek manuscripts from which the modern versions of the Bible are translated. See, they're doing to the Old Testament now what they've done to the New Testament for a long time in the translation of the Bible. Instead of going back and using uh, what would have been based on the Aleppo Codex, they're using the ones that are uh, based on the Leningrad Codex and are reflected in uh, what, you, what you see in Kittles' uh, biblical Hebraica today, and they're beginning to undermine the traditional text of the Old Testament, take shots at it just like they do with the New Testament, and that's a very dangerous thing, folks. Uh, now, <clears throat> translation. Let's talk about translation. Translation is not inspiration, okay? Uh, translation is not inspiration. Is our King James Version inspired? Um, There is absolutely no record or claim that the King James translators, erudite and godly as they were, received any second inspiration. If they had, it wouldn't have taken them from 1607 till 1610 to carefully translate the preserved underlying texts. Um, A careful study of their work and their subsequent publishing process absolutely militates against any such notion as double inspiration. Um, And uh, the King James Bible, as a translation, is not inspired. Uh, And uh, our King James Bible, the King James Bible translators, look at this. The King James Bible translators had God's preserved word in front of them as they worked with the Hebrew Masoretic text and the Greek traditional text. They did not need to be re-inspired. They simply needed to faithfully and accurately translate those preserved words, and that is exactly what they did. The outcome is the King James Bible is God's word kept intact for us. We have God's word kept intact for us in our King James Bible. Now, the authority of the King James Bible. If God has not preserved his word perfectly, uh, we must assume that we are preaching and teaching from a book that is not completely reliable as the original autographs And uh, because the autographs of the original are no longer accessible. If if we don't believe in the preservation of God's word and the accurate translation of our King James Bible, then what are you preaching for? Uh, What do you say? You get up in front of the people and say, I think that if you don't trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you'll probably go to hell if there's a hell. Um, Listen, friends, our King James Bible... Because of, I, I didn't get to, to show you it, uh, uh, the, the uh, well, but anyhow, let me just say, our King James Bible, I, uh, f- 15 times, every word, every verse, every book was gone over with a fine tooth comb, so to speak, very carefully, at least 15 times. Sometimes, some of them were gone over 17 times. And if they were different, they had to defend why they translated a word the way that they translated it. Our King James Bible, because of meticulous and accurate translation of the preserved words of God, maintains all the authority and Holy Spirit power that God originally placed on and in His Word. This book is powerful. Do you understand that all the revivals, the, the you know the 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 revival? Do you understand that all the revivals that have taken place in uh, English-speaking countries have been with the King James version of the Bible? Do you understand that? That's true. Uh, all the revivals in America. We look at the Great Awakening, where uh, Jonathan Edwards he's preaching his great sermon, "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God." And some people think, wow, he must have been a dynamic preacher. Let me tell you how Jonathan Edwards preached. He preached with a single candle here. He didn't have very good eyesight. He got down like this to read his notes, and when he read his notes, he read his notes in a monotone for the people. To He wasn't a dynamic preacher at all. He read his notes to the people in a monotone, and people were fleeing down the aisle to get saved in the middle of his message, crying out to the Lord. That is because of Holy Spirit power, and he is using the King James Version of the Bible in the First Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening in the United States of America. My friends, God's Holy Spirit's hand is on the King James Version of the Bible. And he has used it in mighty, mighty ways. 1 Peter 1.25, the word of the Lord endureth forever. Uh, we, just, we just need to understand this. You need to read it. The Bible is no good to you if it collects dust on your shelf. Let me just tell you about uh, my salvation. Uh, I went to a Methodist church, and I'm 68 years old. Uh, I uh, was born and, and reared in the turbulent 60s and the Methodist Church was heavy into the civil rights and all that kind of stuff, and my Sunday school teacher got sick of the curriculum and threw it away, and he stood up and he said, next week, you all need to bring a Bible to church and a stenographer's notepad, and it's a notepad that's spiral-bound at the top where you could flip it open and take notes, he says, because we're going to go through the Book of Romans. So I'm kind of excited about that. So I run home and I get home and say, Mom, Mom, do we have a Bible? Do we have a Bible? Oh, yeah, we got one around here someplace. So my mom's running all over and she's trying to find a Bible and she finally finds a Bible, <laughs> blows the dust off of it, you know, cleans it up, and you're, we're ready to take it next. And I look at it and it is a Revised Standard Version. If you don't know what the Revised Standard Version is, it's the basis of the new ESV, the English Standard Version. But what... The Revised Standard Version did, instead of saying a virgin shall bring forth a child, it translated a young woman shall bring forth a child. Oh, that's some kind of a sign, a young woman having a baby? Oh, yeah, Mm mm-hmm, right. Young women have, my wife had three of them, I I see some kids around here, so that's no kind of a sign to me that a lady's going to have a baby. But anyway, so I take this kind of a big thing to Sunday school, and um, there are some other people, and... Uh, the Sunday school teacher knew right away that there was going to be a problem. And so what happened was next week he all gave us King James versions of the Bible. And so that we could all be literally on the same page. And so, uh, uh, you know, I'd been told when, when I was growing up, while well, I knew better, I'd been told, oh, David, you're a fine Christian boy. That's what I'd been told. Oh, you're, you come from a good family. You're a fine Christian boy. The only thing is, is I knew better because I knew it was in my heart. And I knew, I knew, and while I didn't do any big sins, but let me just tell you something. You don't need to do a big sin because uh, James writes, whosoever keeps the whole law but offends in one point is guilty of all. If you can tab this picture, you probably don't know what the Grand Canyon is. If you go over, what's those cliffs we may look at? The cliffs, okay. If Just imagine yourself being held over one of those cliffs and you're connected to a 10-link chain. Let me ask you a question. How many of those links have to break before you fall to your death? Just one. And that's what James is saying. Whosoever keeps the whole law but is guilty in one point, he's guilty of all. And, and I remember what I did. My mom made cookies and said, Now, David... Don't you or your sister take any of those cookies? And then she took her clothes out to hang them on the clothesline outside. We didn't have a dryer, so she hung them out on the clothesline, and while she's out there, I go over there. And what I do as a little kid, uh, about six years old, is I take a cookie, and then I rearrange the other cookies... (laughs) spacing things out. The only mistake that I made was is that they were on parchment paper and they kind of left a little spot where they were. Oh! <laughs> Believe me, I knew that I was a sinner. Oh, David, you're a fine Christian boy. Um, no, I, I was a sinner. And uh, when our Sunday school teacher... All have sin and come short of the glory of God. Uh, the wages of sin is death. Boy, oh boy, I got under conviction as a as a young lad, and I went home. The wages of sin is death. And, and our Sunday school teacher said, "If you don't trust Christ, you're going to hell." I didn't want to go to hell. And so uh, for three nights, my parents didn't know I had a bedroom way up in this old Victorian house, uh, over a hundred year old house, and. It's uh, single pane windows and it was breezy and rattling and I'm under my covers and I'm crying, oh, I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to go to hell. But then I cried out to the Lord Jesus Christ and I said in my simpleness as a young kid, save me, Lord Jesus, from going to hell. I'm telling you, I'm thankful that God isn't a liar. He saved my soul. I had some doubts when I was a little bit older, and if you have any doubts, I want to tell you, it isn't worth gambling on eternity, and so what I did is, an older person was get down on my knees and say, I believe I accepted you back when I was about 11 years old, Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, but if you're not in my life, come into my life, forgive my sins, save my soul, and make me to be the kind of person you want me to be. Since that September 13th, many, many years ago, I have been sure of my salvation. It isn't that uh, I haven't, uh, it isn't that I've uh, walked the straight and narrow completely. Uh, that time, but I'll tell you, I didn't lose my salvation. But I've been to the woodshed a time or two with the Lord, whom the Lord loveth, he what chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son that he receive. And I'll tell you, I don't want to be there again. But I'm so thankful that our Sunday school teacher threw away the godless curriculum and took us to a King James Bible that told us the truth, and I got under conviction of my sin, and I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Praise God for that, and glory be to the Lord. Uh, Going back to what we said here, you need to read it, but then you need to believe it, but then you need to practice it. Put it into practice in your life. Are you a growing Christian? Um, You know what? I'm 68 years old and the older I get the more I realize how much I don't know and God's still helping me grow as I get into the Word of God and I've read the Bible and read the Bible and read the Bible. Um, I'm getting ready to preach through the book of Daniel when I get back home and I'm discovering new things in the book of Daniel, and I've already preached the book of Daniel about 25 years ago, maybe it was 30 years ago now, I've been in the ministry for 45 years, but you can still learn new stuff as you read the Bible and the Holy Spirit works in your life. So friends, number one, be sure that you're saved. If you don't remember, you don't have to remember the date, but if you... If you don't remember the incident where you're being saved, I'll tell uh, one more true story. In the first uh, church where I was the assistant pastor, uh, this teenage girl, I was the youth director there as well, uh, this youth, uh, Cindy came to me and said to Pastor Brown, Pastor Brown, I don't think that I'm saved. I says, well, we can take care of that, Cindy, sit down, have a seat. Um, And she says, my mom tells me that I was saved when I was four years old and the lady across the street led me to the Lord Jesus Christ, but I don't remember anything about it and I think I'm lost. I says, well, if you don't remember anything about it, let's go over the plan of salvation. And we went over the plan of salvation and Cindy trusted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior and was gloriously saved. Her mother was so angry at me. She called the deacons and said, that youth pastor is undermining the faith. And I got called before the deacons born. and they asked Cindy what happened, and she told them what happened, and she said, he just led me to the Lord Jesus Christ. And her mother's sitting over there, you are saved when you are four years old. <laughs> and this old deacon, a friend of my wife's and myself, he got up and he says, you know what? That's exactly what a youth pastor should be doing. He says, you should be grateful to God that he took the time to talk to your daughter about the things of the Lord and be sure that she was saved. I move that this meeting be adjourned and our youth director be commended. He made the motion. It was seconded. The meeting was adjourned. You, you know what? Sometimes, sometimes, there's there's if, if everybody loves you, you know, we... Uh, uh, everybody loves to be loved, Nobody, you know. everybody hates to be hated, everybody likes to be liked, everybody likes to be tolerated, but I'll tell you what, um, I witnessed to my family so much, they got so mad at me, woo, did they get mad at me, and I finally sat down with uh, my uh, uh, family, and I said, if you'll give me a half an hour, and let me explain clearly the plan of salvation, then I won't bug you anymore, But I'll tell you what, if you bring up something, I I have an opinion about things based upon the Bible. If you bring up something, I'm, I'm going to talk to you. So I sat down with my sister who was living an aberrant lifestyle. She was a lesbian. And I shared with her the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she sat there and she listened. And she said, okay. She said, now I listen to you and you need to keep your promise. My wife and I prayed for her for 20 years. And uh, about, I, I, I'm trying to think now, uh, almost 20 years ago, because this is when we were relatively young, almost 20 years ago, my sister was gloriously saved. Don't quit. I mean, they were mad at me. But you know what? They were more mad at my Savior. If everybody loves you, you ain't doing it right. You're not living for the Lord, right? If everybody loves you, uh, because Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they kept my word, they'll keep your word. Well, uh, now my sister, we have glorious fellowship. She doesn't live near me anymore. She lives up in Minnesota, but we write back and forth and talk back and forth, and I'm so glad that, you know what, they they really, ah, they were so upset but i'm so thankful i didn't let that turn me off and that i tried to reach him for christ because she'll go to heaven now when she dies well my friends i am so grateful to have the invitation to come and share with you i hope it's been helpful i'm going to turn off this computer And as i understand it we're going to have a question and answer time and uh, so let me get a, a quick drink and then i'll come back up here and answer your questions. Uh, My wife is going to be quietly in the back packing up some things, but remember when answer time is done, I've kept the King James Bible out, and if anybody wants a picture with the King James Bible, you want to hold the King James Bible, the first handheld King James Bible, I'm more than happy to be able to to let you do that because it is God's preserved word for us in the English language.